When, when someone acts, uh, behaves in a way that is out of their character, it can be kind of unsettling. If you have a, if you have a child who is normally you know, pretty compliant, pretty chill, and then suddenly she is like directly defiant, kind of in your face, that can be very unsettling, like just, just disturbing. If, on the other hand, if you have a child that has no problem being defiant and in your face, it can be unsettling when they're suddenly very uh, obedient too. Who are you and what have you done with my, with my son? Um, if when your spouse behaves in a way that's just not like him or her, it can be unsettling. It can be shocking. And I, I am sure we have all had those times where we're having that conversation with ourself that goes like, you know, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? That's, I don't want that to be who I am. I've never done something like that before. Why would I say those kinds of words with that kind of anger? Anytime, whether it's us or someone else, acting in a way that's outside of our character can be very unsettling. Well, for, for the Christian, and by that I mean for a person who has placed his or her faith in Jesus, if I believe that the reason Jesus was crucified was because he was there paying the penalty I deserve for my sin. He died the death I deserve. For the Christian, sin is supposed to be outside of our character. In fact, Paul is going to teach us today sin actually is outside of our character. It is not who we are. Not, not who we should be. Not who we want to be. It is not who we are. Paul is going to ask and answer a very big question today. It's not a new question, even for the book of Romans. Paul asked it briefly in chapter 3, verse 8, but he only asked it just briefly enough to tell us the answer to the questions, no, and then he went on. He didn't explain it at all. Um, so he's asked it once. He's going to ask it today. He's going to ask it at the, again at the beginning of next week's passage. And so the, the, the question comes up in different forms, but it's basically this. Here's the question. Does this grace thing mean that I can just sin and sin and sin and sin and not worry about it? Because after all, God is going to forgive me anyway. Is that the way grace works? Paul's already told us clear back in chapter 3, the answer to that question is no. That is not what grace means. That is not how grace works. But he didn't tell us why. We're going to study this morning the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6, because that's Paul's first stab at a full answer to that question. Let's read our passage. If you brought a Bible this morning, find Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 14 is what we're going to read. 
So Romans 6, 1 through 14. Uh, This is the New American Standard Bible on the screen. They read this way. Here comes the questions. Uh, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. There's our passage. Again, it starts with a question that does not just come out of nowhere. This is a very logical question. Um, It's a question Paul has to deal with because he knows people reading this letter will be asking the question. He's heard it before. He knows, even though he's never been to Rome, he's never met these people, he knows they're asking This question. Paul has, he's been teaching for five chapters about justification by faith. And I know I keep explaining that week after week after week. And I probably will until you kick me out of here or I die or I retire or whatever. Uh, Paul's been teaching. There is no way We will ever hear God tell us, you are justified. You are righteous based on how we've lived our lives. We're never going to hear that from God because there's no one righteous, not even one. He's been teaching, we can be justified, which is the requirement to be in heaven, declared righteous. We can be justified by believing what Jesus did at the cross, he did for us. That is our justification. There's another way to be declared righteous. We can't do it through our behavior. So he gives it a free gift to all those who believe. That's what Paul's been teaching. 
And he knows the most logical question ever based on that teaching is something like this. So you mean to tell me all I have to do is believe he died instead of me and all my sins will be forgiven? Yep. And Paul knows what comes next. He knows on both ends of the spectrum in this church, people will ask a question like this. So what? We just supposed to keep on sinning? He knows on one side of the church, one side of the spectrum, there are people we sometimes call legalists. Um, sometimes called the Judaizers, Paul was always fighting against as he walked through the New Testament. People for whom the law is, is, remains important because they still believe that by my obedience, my adherence to the law, I can be more in God's eyes. And that's legalism. Because the gospel says, by believing in Christ, I bear the blindingly white righteousness of Jesus Christ. And there's no way I can improve on that through my own measly behavior. But the legalists can't kick it. It's very important. And Paul knows they're going to ask this question more as a charge against Paul. Paul's constantly getting charged like this. Paul, if what you say is true about this grace thing, then you are encouraging people to sin. You are telling people, just go crazy. Doesn't matter. God's going to forget. That's what you are teaching, Paul. Paul, you say the law won't control people's behavior. Well, this grace thing sure won't. And so they always want Paul to add some fear, some behavioral control to the gospel. If you don't do this or that, then you're not really, and you're not going to, God's really going to. Before I say anything else about this passage, I want you to know Paul will never, he will never give in to the legalist. He will never try to use fear to control behavior. But he knows that charge is, is coming. Paul, you are teaching people it's okay to sin. On the other side of the spectrum, Paul knows there are people who are more antinomian, which might be a new word for you, like against the law. Basically, there are people who want to continue living an immoral lifestyle. But they would prefer to go to heaven when they die rather than going to hell when they die. And so they, they will ask this question, Paul knows, hoping the answer is yes. They will ask this question, so what shall we say? Uh, we can just sin and sin and sin, and, and grace may increase, and I'll be forgiven anyway. My sin no longer matters. Please say yes, Paul. Please say yes, Paul. Please say yes, Paul. It's a logical question. I don't know where I heard this, but I'm, it's not original with me. If you've never asked this question, you have never considered the gospel. Well, that's the question. Um, by the way, on this other side, there's a poet named W.H. Otter who just a, a character in one of his poems summed up this antinomian uh, idea of I want to just remain in sin uh, this way. A character in one of his poems said, I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. 
So really, the world is admirably arranged. Uh, but is that God's arrangement? Well, Paul answers. By the way, he's just said in chapter 5, as the world got sinnier and sinnier and sinnier, as sin abounded, grace superabounded. It is still true we cannot out-sin the grace of God. So then the logical question, so what do you mean? Sin no longer matters? Paul answers um, emphatically in the negative. We would say it this way, absolutely not. More literally, Paul says something like, may it never be. No way. But why? The rest of the passage is the answer to that question, Paul's first answer to that question. And honestly, he answers the whole answer in the rest of verse 2. Here's the answer. So can we just sin and sin and sin and God no longer cares? No. You know why? How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's the whole answer. Are you a Christian? Audience participation. All right, are you a Christian? Have you believed in Christ Jesus for your salvation? Yes. All right, then Paul, he answers this question with a question, which is a very Jewish thing to do, but he can't help it. He's Jewish. Um, there's a statement in here. There's a truth claim in here. If you nodded your head yes, and you, you're a Christian, you know what Paul just said about you? You died to sin when you became a Christian. That's true. He didn't say, you should really think about dying to sin. He didn't say, I hope through your hard work and self-discipline, one day you will die to sin. He says, you died to sin. Whether you know it or not. That's the whole answer to the question. Paul, can we just sin and sin and sin so that grace may increase? Paul says, no, you can't continue in sin. You died to sin. Now, if Paul just left it right there, that's the whole answer. Would you have any questions about, about that? Or would you just, can we just close our Bibles and go, and go home? I would have some questions. For example, what the heck does it mean that I died to sin? <laughs> right? What does it mean that I died? You know, if when I became a Christian, I actually, I died, that changes my estimation of my physical appearance. And I ain't much to look at, but I look pretty good for a guy who's been dead for several decades now. Right? Paul says, if you're a Christian, you died. And that's why you can't continue in sin. Now, the rest of this paragraph that we're going to study through is really what it means that you are dead to sin. And so you can't live in it. And Paul's going to start by explaining, so you can't, Paul's already said, you can't. The grace does not work this way that I just have a license to sin. I can sin however I want. And then every once in a while, I can show my license to God. Sorry, you got to forgive me. That's not how this works. You died to sin. How can you live in sin since you already died to it? What's that mean? All right, Paul's going to take us on a little journey in explaining that. And he's going to start by just as an illustration using the Christian uh, ordinance of baptism as an example of what it means. He's going to prove to these people, you died to sin. He's already told them something that I am sure surprised them. He said, oh, you died to sin. And I'm sure just like you, they're like, 
boy, sometimes I don't feel very dead to sin. I, I found a, in studying for this sermon, I found a, a cartoon. There's a gal that says, I didn't really actually die to sin, but I did, see, I did feel faint once. You know, that's, you know, that feels like the Christian life sometimes. All right, Paul says, you're died to sin. Here's, you, you, here's the way grace works. I want to remind you of your baptism. Verse 3 and 4, Paul says, do you not know? And Paul knows they do know. He's basically saying, you all know that when you are baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. We're going to stop right there. This is Christianity 101. By the way, I want you to notice, Paul has never been to Rome. He's never met these Christians. And I explain how we can know that in the first couple of sermons in this series. But he's never met these people. But what does he assume about all of the Christians in Rome? They have been what? They've been baptized. They just have. Paul would never say no one is going to heaven unless they have been baptized because Paul is very clear that our justification before God is apart from works. Baptism is obviously something we do. But an unbaptized Christian is just not in the New Testament. Christians get baptized. That's what the New Testament says. So Paul assumes these Christians have been baptized. And he says, you all know when you were baptized, you were baptized into Jesus' death. You were buried with him in baptism into death. That's what baptism is. That's why it's the prescribed ordinance of the beginning of the Christian life. Baptism is a metaphor. It's an acted out picture of our faith. A minute ago, I asked if you were a Christian. Those of you who are paying attention nodded your head, right? Answered in the affirmative. Um, when you became a Christian, you came to the understanding that you were in real trouble before God unless he saved you, right? You identified his death as the only thing that will keep you from your eternal death. Didn't you understand that? Okay. So if you got baptized after you were, uh, became a Christian, here's by immersion, which is the word baptism, baptizo, just means to immerse, dunk something underwater. Um, here's why we do that. It is a picture of identifying with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. Okay, when I baptize somebody, I, they, they fall down like this. That is symbolizing their death. And when they go underwater, that is symbolizing a burial. Okay, now, everyone who becomes a Christian understands my only hope is substitutionary atonement. He died instead of me. But baptisms don't stop there, right? Have you ever seen a baptism by immersion that goes like this, right? We have the tank set up here and there's a couple of baptism candidates back there that their baptism has been forestalled by this pandemic thing we're in right now. But would it ever work like this? I, I, Milo Brown's going to get baptized and I see buried with, uh, baptize him into the, the death of Christ Jesus or whatever I will say. I'll say it better than I promise. Right? And we put her under the water and then I just leave her there and I say a prayer and we all go to lunch. Have you ever seen a baptism that worked like that? No. What happens next? 
we, hopefully we raise her out of the water. You know, most of us, a lot of us, try to live a Christian life. Like the only thing that matters is the, is the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And we leave out, raised again to newness of life. Paul's going to make this point over and over in today's passage. He said, you guys got baptized? They didn't leave you down there. End of verse 4. You were, okay, you were baptized. You identified his death was your only hope, so you were buried with him in baptism into death, right? All the way under the water. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. Paul's going to make this point over and over and over in today's passage. If I get repetitive, blame Paul. Christianity's a package deal. Verse 5, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, and we have, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul says, Jesus' story didn't end at the cross, so your story as a Christian can't end by giving your sin to Jesus at the, at the cross. Hey, forgive all my sin, Jesus. I'll see you later in heaven. Don't bother me while I'm down here. I got stuff I want to do. This is a package deal. You are united to Jesus Christ, and He didn't stay dead in your sin. He was raised again in newness of life. And that's what will happen to the Christian. Moving on. Verses 6 and 7. Paul teaches uh, the gospel of grace. Can I just sin and sin and sin and sin because I'll be forgiven anyway? Is that the way grace works? No. Paul says the gospel doesn't permit sin. It frees us from sin. Verse 6, Paul says, if you, if you aren't confused by the you died to sin, wait, get a load of this one. Verse 6, we know that our old man was crucified with him. Paul just throws that in there. We all know our old man was crucified with Christ. Our old woman was crucified with Christ. Wait, what? What's that mean? Paul talked about our old man in last week's passage in chapter 5. We were all born in Adam. We were born separated from God. If you were here last week or if you listened to the sermon last week, answer this question for me. The way you were born, were you born with a chance to be good on your own? No. You were born spiritually dead. So was I. Separated from God. You had no chance and you had no choice. That old man, that old woman, was crucified with Christ, was killed, is dead. Uh, Brian Clark from the pastor at Lincoln Berean likes to say, how dead was he? He was so dead, we buried him. Uh, our old, so what was killed is not our opportunity to sin, was not the chance that we might sin, what was killed was the part of us that had no choice other than to sin. Our old man was crucified with him. Why? So that 
the body of sin would no longer be would no longer dominate us. Or to say it another way, Paul says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We were born with no chance to glorify God and no choice. But that old man, that old woman, was crucified with Christ. And we have been, we had no choice but to obey that old man because it's the only one we had. Now we have a choice. Paul says it this way, for someone who has died has been freed from, slim, from sin. He's using slavery metaphor. He'll use that more going through the book. You know, one, if you were a slave, you know, one way to be out of slavery would be to die, right? Um, you're, the, the master no longer tells a dead slave what to do. Paul says, that's how free you are from your old man that had no choice. You died, so you no longer have to obey that old master. We have a choice. So what has been, um, you can read this and kind of, don't you want to ask, if I'm dead to sin, why do I still sin? (laughs) Right? Again, this world is still broken. We have a very real enemy who is a tempter, who's very good at his job. Um, we are free from, from sin as our master, but we are, we are free to voluntarily go back and obey that old master if we want. And at times we will. What has been destroyed is not the presence to sin, of sin, the opportunity to sin, but sin's dominance and control over us has been destroyed. Later, Paul will also tell us sin's ability to condemn us has been destroyed also. So we've been, we've died. We're no longer bound to our old master sin. We can choose loyalty to it, but there are other choices also. All right, you with Paul so far? Just in case you're not, he's going to say the same thing again, a little different way. He's going to restate the main premise of this passage in verse 8. And he's going to hash it out just a little bit. Romans 6, 8, a restatement of the main idea. Here's what I've been teaching you so far. Now, if we died with Christ, and we did, we believe that we will also live with him. Do you see how that's the same? It's a package deal. We don't just stop by giving him our sins at the cross and then like, take a time out for the next 50 years till we die. It's a package deal. If we died with him, this union with Christ continues and we will live with him right now. Then Paul, to help us understand this some more, verses 9 and 10, Paul is going to say a few things every single Christian will agree with. This is as elementary ideas of Christianity as you can get. I'll prove it to you. See if you agree with this. Verse 9, we know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, do you believe Christ was raised from the dead? Yes. Okay. He is never going to die again. Do you believe Jesus is ever going to die ever again? No. Death no longer has mastery over him. Did death have its time with the Lord Jesus? Yes. Did sin have its time with Jesus? Yes. It was awful. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. He died to sin, and now the life he lives, he lives to God. 
You believe every word of that about Jesus, don't you? You know what Paul wants us to know now? Jesus is the pattern that we are supposed to follow. That's supposed to be true about us. Verse 11 is a very special verse in the book of Romans. Oh, whoops. Here it is. Romans 6.11, very special verse in the book of Romans. You know what's special about Romans 6.11? This is the first behavioral, the first command Paul has given us. You can read back over five and a half chapters of the book of Romans and you will not find a single command. Everything else has been all about justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a free gift. And now... Paul's going to start giving us some commands. You want to know what the first command Paul gives us in this book is? So you too, just like Jesus, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a command. Paul's already said, you died to sin. So any sin you sin is a betrayal of who you actually are. And now, here's the command. I love it. It's not... You stop sinning. What's wrong with you? God's not going to love you anymore. You're not a real Christian. Here's what he says. Get this through your thick head. Consider yourself to be what you actually are. Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Command, consider yourself. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. That's who I am. That old guy's dead. How dead? So dead we buried him. Why do I want to, when I sin, dig up that old lifeless dead corpse and hang out with him? Does that seem disgusting and morbid? It should. So should, so should sin. There's our command. Consider yourself. Decide that's who you are. Which, by the way, it's already decided. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you died to sin. The Apostle Paul told you that. The command is, Believe it. Consider that to be true about you. And now that Paul has sort of broken the seal on commands, it's like he couldn't hardly contain himself. He's going to give us some more commands. And these are wonderful. Verses 12 through 14, there's some more commands in here. And Paul says, we have been freed to sin, but we have been freed from sin to fight against it. We have not been freed from the loss to sin and sin and sin and sin and sin. We have been freed from sin to fight against it. Paul says, therefore, based on everything I've taught you so far in this paragraph, Paul says, do not. What's this word right here? Can you see that? I want you to read that one word out loud with me when I get there. Ready? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. There's our next command. Once I have, I've considered myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, all right, here's a command about that command. Do not, what's that word again? Do not let Sin, reign, be in control in your body. All right. Maybe you've never thought about this, but I have, 
and I know a lot of Christians have had. If we're dead to sin, why does Paul have to command me not to sin? How can a, how can a guy's dead to sin still sin? We've answered that a little bit. As a Christian, will you sin? Yes. But don't let it. Don't let it reign. Do you know that this is true about sin? Sin does not want to be your friend. Sin does not want to be something that's controlled by you that you can use to have fun, to be desirable, to be popular, to have lots of friends, to make lots more money. Sin does not want to be your tool. Sin wants to reign, wants to control you. And it will if you let it. And there's the command. Don't let it. Paul presents sin as a power, and it is. And he says it will control you still, O Christian, if you let it. He could have said this another way. So fight for God's sake. Fight. There's still a battle going on. This is still serious. Sin always costs death. The wages of sin is always death. How can I be dead to sin and still sin? I say this almost every week in the Bible. Is, is death the annihilation of one thing or is it separation of two things? Separation of two things. You died to sin, which means Jesus accomplished a separation between you and sin that you could have never accomplished on your own. You had no choice. And when you died to sin, it wasn't annihilated. Death isn't annihilation, it's separation. And you can be separated from sin because of what he did for you at the cross and by raising you again to walk in newness of life. Now, can you dig up that old dead corpse and obey that old nasty master? Absolutely. But he will control you. So don't let him fight. That's what Paul says. This is still serious. Death still lets sin seep into our lives. Sin still lets death seep into our lives. Death is separation. That separation between me and my beautiful wife is because there's sin seeping in there. The, the, the separation between me and my friends is, is because sin let death seep in there. Now, praise God. There's one kind of death sin cannot allow into my life. Eternal death, right? It has no power over me because he won that war. But the battle's still going on. This concept reminds me of the Battle of New Orleans. You know the story of the Battle of New Orleans? In 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty... See, People of a certain age are smiling and nodding, and the young people think I just started like speaking in tongues or channeling some sort of spirit or something. It's an old song. Look it up, okay? The Battle of New Orleans in the War of 1812, Andrew Jackson, before he was president, he led the American forces, and he fought the bloody British in the town of New Orleans, right? Um, it was a bloody engagement. Lots of soldiers died at the end. Do you know what the great irony of that battle was, though? 
the war was actually over. Clear over in Europe, they had negotiated the terms of the end of the war, signed, sealed. The war was over. So whatever happened in that battle could not do anything to change the outcome of the war. But did that make those musket balls and bayonets not dangerous? Hey, the war's over. So now you can shoot me if you want. I can play with the, with the enemy's bayonets. Can't hurt me. Well, that's kind of ridiculous, right? That's us. That's us. Sin still costs death. It might not be able to kill me ultimately, but it can cause lots of pain and hurt in the meantime. So Paul says, just don't, for God's sake, don't let it. Verse 13. I might even like 13 better than I like 12, and I really like verse 12. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. That's a lot. Uh, an old Scottish theologian and preacher named William Barclay, he wrote the best summary of that verse I've ever read and I can't improve upon it, so I'm just gonna read you his. Here's what William Barclay says we learn in, from Romans 6.13. As Christians, we are faced with the tremendous alternative of making ourselves weapons in the hand of God or weapons in the hand of sin. Here's what Paul is saying. You now have a choice. You, you used to be enslaved to sin. Christ accomplished the death of sin, the separation between you and sin, and now you have a choice. What kind of weapon do I want to be? Do I want to be a, a weapon in the hand of the almighty God? A weapon of grace, a weapon of his church, a weapon of his forgiveness and love? Or do I want to be a weapon of sin? And so it's so hard for us to understand. We want to be free. Free meaning nobody can ever tell me what to do. That's not a choice, kids. Someone's going to be your boss. The God of the universe or sin. And as Christians, we get to choose. Paul ends with a promise. For sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under law, but under grace. It seems like Paul did another typo there. Doesn't it seem like Paul should have said, sin will not have mastery over you because you are not under sin, but you're under grace? But he doesn't say that because Paul will never fudge the salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Here's, what, here's why Paul throws that law thing in. He can't help himself. Under law, it would be like this. You wake up in the morning, God says, here's your choices. You can be good, you can be bad. At the end of the day, I will give you a blessing if you are good, and I'll give you a curse if you are bad. That's the way the law works. I've set my blessings and curses before you. You decide. You know the beauty of this grace thing we walk in? The curse is already done. 
We don't have that. The curse has already been fulfilled. He says, sin will have no mastery over you because you are always free to leave it. You are always free to leave it. Is it hard sometimes? Do we get habits? Do we get addictions? Do we get... Absolutely. So fight. Tell somebody. Get some help. Help because I don't want anybody to think... Let somebody know you're fighting. Because the war is over, but the battle still rages. So hopefully... Click me one more time there, Seth. Hopefully, we can answer this question a little better now than we could at the beginning. So what should we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. That old you who is always in sin died. Let him stay dead. Let her stay dead. Consider yourself separated from sin. That is who I am Let sin be me acting out of my character because it is whether we realize it or not. Third, choose what kind of weapon you want to be in this world. A weapon, an instrument in the hand of Almighty God or a weapon in the hand of sin. And then remember, when you fail and you will, sin does not have the power to keep you there. It does not have the power to condemn you. You are under grace. I can always go to my heavenly father. Did Jesus save you because you were good? Was his love for you based on your performance? No, in the gospel, we get the outcome before the performance. He loves you just as much as he did before you failed. So you can always go to him. Daddy, I need you again. But I don't walk there. I don't stay there. Because this is a package deal. Buried with him in death. Raised with him to newness of life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for, um, for preserving this word, the book of Romans. This stuff, when we read through it, it's so hard to understand, but there's so much life there. Ultimately, Lord, we know... We cannot just sin and sin and sin and be walking in grace because you gave grace to bring life and sin brings death and those are incompatible. God, thank you that our sin does not have the power to condemn us for you've won that war. But help us to not be content being mastered by and beaten up by your enemy whom you have already defeated. Help us fight. Help us help one another to fight. To walk in the new life you've promised. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.